going to be in Amos. So flip over there with me. We're going to be in chapter 2. Eventually I'll turn all this on and you'll be able to hear me. We'll be in uh, Amos chapter 2. And as we look at Amos, uh, all the prophets have multiple things in common. One of them is something called the oracle to the nations. And different prophets have different purposes, different timetables. Amos is during the time of the split kingdom before any exiles. So you have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is experiencing great financial gain. They must have the blessing of the Lord with them because every time they turn around, things are looking better and better and the people are enjoying a a time of, of great financial freedom. The southern kingdom, a little less so. And so as the Lord is delivering this message, he delivers it in a spiral. If you look at all the nations that he's already talked to in chapter 1, it makes a spiral circling Israel. So it's ever smaller until it lands first on Judah and then on Israel. Now, Judah and all the other nations in the Oracle of the Nations in the book of Amos have a relatively short pronouncement of judgment. Here, here is the last straw. I am not, there's no pass. There's no, you know, get $200, pass, go. Everything's good. There is the uh, coming judgment. Judgment is coming. It will come. This is what it's going to look like. He says, this is why, and this is, this is going to be the result of said judgment. And then when he zeroes into Israel, he is going to give most of the rest of the book to Israel. So there's a great focus on the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom is the part of the division of the nation that took the majority of the tribes. Ten tribes went north, two tribes went south. Now, that's just for us geographically to understand There was representation of all 12 tribes in the north, and there was representation of all 12 tribes in the south. However, the way it would look like if Congress was to split today, that the majority of the states went with the northern kingdom, and the minority went with the southern kingdom. Now, in the southern kingdom, you had Jerusalem. And when Jeroboam the first, the king in place during Amos is Jeroboam the second. When Jeroboam the first is first coming into power, the Lord says, look, if you will be a good king and follow my statutes and obey my laws, then I I will build a, 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 a kingdom from you. Just a similar promise to what he gave to David. But Jeroboam responded by building two golden calves. One in the north, one in the south, uh, one in Dan, one in Bethel. And that is going to be primarily because of fear that if the people went to Jerusalem to worship, eventually they'd stay. And so he made a choice. I, I often say to Hannah, life is full of choices. Make good ones. You never get to know which choice you're making is carrying the crazy Uh, consequences that you don't, you can't imagine, right? 
I'm pretty sure if Jared knew what was in store on that day, he might have made different choices. Yes? And we could put just about anybody else's name there too, right? That have, that because we, you know, maybe it's as simple as I should never went out that day. But we are faced with choices and God tells us about how to make those choices, doesn't he? He tells us, be still and know that I am God, to put our hope and trust in him and be obedient to his word. In the Old Testament, when we read the phrase, be obedient to the law and to the statutes, all that's talking about is the word of God that had been revealed to the kingdom of Israel. Be obedient to what God's word has told you to do. How are we doing so far in that regard? So when we consider that, you know, one of the things I do when I go through the prophets, because I know there's a fair amount of of doom and gloom, all of these have been fulfilled, except for the restoration that we'll read about in the end, as we look for the return of the king. But as we look, I, I have a tendency to recognize all the areas that God says, hey, you're failing here, and then recognize whether or not we as a nation are failing there as well, or whether or not I as an individual am failing there. And recognize that with God's people, there was a lot more judgment than there was with the world. Because the world didn't have the same level of understanding as Israel did. Israel had the word of God. They knew what it said. Their rebellion was greater. And so when when God zeroes in, his judgment is going to be so as well. So tonight, we're just going to look at the last two oracles against the nations the first one judah and the second one israel remember the book of amos divides first in the oracle of nations chapter one and two then we have sermons three sermons three four five and then six through nine are the visions of amos that's how it's going to break down the majority of which are going to deal with the nation of israel so he goes on thus says the lord amos chapter two verse four thus says the lord For three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Same way he spoke about every nation, right? For three and for four, uh, I'm not, there's there's no, this is judgment. These are decreed judgments that are coming. And he gives the reason first. He always gives the root cause. What's the root cause of Judah's judgment? Now we know Judah's judgment is going to be fulfilled Uh, during the time of Jeremiah and the Babylonian captivity, roughly 586 B.C. and following. So we know that's coming. He says, this is the why. Because they have rejected the law of the Lord. They have not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So the judgment is going to come upon Judah, because they have forsaken the word of God. They have moved from apathy, meaning we don't really consider the word, to hostility toward the word of God. And they have chosen the father uh, to follow what they call the lies of your fathers. Now, when Jesus confronts some of this, he says that you are abandoning the commandments of God for the traditions of men. So men have this thing. We always want to build philosophies, ideas, 
systematic theologies, all of which is man's attempt to piece together what it is that God is really trying to, to tell us. And for Judah, the southern kingdom that had the better kings and had the temple and the center of worship, he, the Lord says, the reason you're going to go to exile is you've abandoned the word of God. You've abandoned the word of God. Colossians, Paul writes this. In Colossians 2, 1 through 5, he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. I was struck as we were looking at this final part of the Oracle of the Nations that you have two nations of Israel. And if you've read the book of Revelation, in the seven churches, there are two final churches of what some would call the last age. Do you know what they're called? Laodicea is one. Laodicea and Philadelphia. So you have this example in Revelation, and it's interesting to me that here in Colossae, which is a letter ultimately uh, uh, to Colossae and Laodicea, Paul writes this. He says, look, I have a great struggle for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face so that their hearts might be encouraged, being knit together in love, that they would reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, everything that we need to know is found in God the Word that has been given to us in the Word of God. And the bottom line is to find ourselves being obedient to that, not to our own tradition. or our, We all have them. I have them. You have them. We all have these philosophies, these ways of thinking that can derail us when that is the driving point rather than what does God's word say? What is it that God's... Listen to what Paul finishes after he says, in whom, in Christ, hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and your firmness, the firmness of your faith in Christ. Not your trust in systems, your faith in Christ. And where do we learn about faith in Christ, what that looks like? We learn about that through the word of God and walking in obedience to God. There are things we know God wants us to do and things we know God doesn't want us to do. Amen? So following Christ Jesus means being willing to follow those things. And what led to the judgment that came upon Judah, which in our comparison would not be Laodicea. So Judah had some good going on, okay? And admittedly, it's not a perfect parallel. I'm just using it for, for our comprehension. But Judah 
cared about God. They wanted to worship God. They had good kings that brought revival. They also had wicked kings that fought against revival. Um, so they're the example of between the two, the more spiritual of the two. But the danger, why they found themselves in exile was the abandonment of the word of God. So that they might maybe sound smarter to the people of the day who said, oh, that's foolishness. I know we think that's just come up lately, but that's been an attitude of the world since the beginning. The first lie spoken in the garden was, did God really say that? Right? It's always been an attack against God's word. Colossians chapter 2 goes on to say this in verse 8 and 9. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. That's anything that is not rooted in him, anything that is not rooted in his word. The elemental spirits of the, uh, uh, how's he put it? The elemental spirits of the world is not a way of saying like your ABCs. He's talking about people that would use the phrase, well, this, I'm a very spiritual person. You guys ever heard that before? It always makes me a little nervous because usually the next thing that's coming is going to be something weird. I'm a very spiritual person. I, I talk to dead people, something. And so that's not new either. That was something that was a part of the world. And the phrase used of the elemental spirits of the world. He's talking about spiritual issues, other spiritual entities. Is our battle that we fight day in and day out against flesh and blood? What's the Bible saying in Ephesians chapter 6? Do we war against flesh and blood or principalities and powers? So there are spiritual entities that are real and are a part of the, uh, our warfare, right, in uh, fighting for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the same is true here. Paul is saying, don't let them take you captive. Is that what's going on in our world today? Because it's exactly the same thing that went on in the world in Judah back in Amos' time. And it is what brought, ultimately, uh, God's judgment in Judah. He says, the things that we focus on in terms of right and wrong is not about how we feel or political opinion or popularity. It's about what God's word says. Now, I'm not trying to tell you that God's word gives us a precept for every single possibility, but God's word was delivered to us in a way that we can look at his other precepts and his other commands, and we can from those commands infer what would be the point of this time. That's the point of civic law, not to lay out for you every possible right or wrong that you could do so that you would know, but that you would understand you're supposed to love your neighbor. Is what you're doing loving your neighbor? No, then you're breaking God's law. Are you with me? So this is the concept. So what was the, this was what brought the judgment that we read in Amos chapter 4. You did not keep the law or the statutes. The lies led you astray. You followed after the way in which your fathers walked. What's he say in verse 5? So I will send fire on Judah. That's not the fire of the Holy Spirit. 
Most of the time in the Bible, when the Bible talks about sending fire, it's not good. It speaks of judgment. What is it that fire does? It burns away the, the dross, right? It, it's a p- part of judgment. When we talk about the judgment before the judgment seat of Christ, it says that our, our deeds will do what? They pass through the fire. And what is wood, hand, stubble? What happens to that? It burns up. And what is made of more lasting material, gold, silver, precious gems, that will pass through the fire, right? Signifying those things which will be a reward for and those things which will be burned away. Through what? Judgment. It's Jesus' judgment when he judges those acts. And so he says, I'm going to send fire upon Judah and it will devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. 586 B.C. The Babylonian exile takes place. The Lord spoke. It never had to be a total obliteration. The decree was you're going to go into exile. The choice of the people was to accept God's judgment, lay down their arms and go, and and then choose to live at peace with Babylon or to continue to rebel. If so, the entire place would be destroyed. What did they do? They chose to rebel down to the last man over and over and over. And so what happened was total obliteration until the end of the exile. So this is something that occurs 150 years after the exile of Israel. So because they had some good, Judah had some good, some revival, some repentance there it took longer for judgment to come but the judgment eventually did come now to the northern kingdom he says this thus says the lord for three transgressions of israel and for four i will not revoke the punishment here's the decree what what is the reason what's the root cause they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals So the first thing we have is injustice, primarily the denial of justice to the poor. In other words, unless you had money, (coughs) excuse me, unless you had money to afford, let's say, the best lawyers in the land, you couldn't get off with murder. You know anybody who's ever done that? So... He's saying, look, you perverted justice. You made justice for profit. So justice isn't working. And so you are bringing injustice primarily to the poor. You're selling out the righteous people for whom you should have judged properly. And you're doing it for money. And for the poor, it's not even much money. It's just for a pair of sandals. What's he go on? He says in verse 7. Not only injustice, but those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. So first, they had injustice, the denial of justice for profit. Second, they had insensitivity to the poor and afflicted. They didn't care. What's what's worse than hatred in a lot of ways? Apathy. I don't hate you. I just don't care at all. I don't 
I don't care. And so what was happening here? A denial of respect and rights to the poor and needy. And so they could walk past the afflicted or be guilty of trampling the head of the poor into the dust. It's not our problem. It's not, it's not something we need to focus on. Then he said, a man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. So the third mark of Israel was immorality. They were an immoral people. And the expression used for that immorality is uh, a sexual immorality. That's the focus. That's not new, by the way. It's not new for our time. It's been around since there's been more than two people on earth. Sexual immorality. It's rampant in the world and it's rampant in the church. And what really is the big deal? Isn't this how everybody does things? But it was part of the root cause for the judgment that God brought on Israel. And then the fourth one, they lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge and in the house of their God. They drink the wine of those who have been fined. Let me explain this a little bit. When it says they lay themselves down beside every altar, that is taking place in the sexual activity of the temple prostitutes in false worship. That was everywhere in Israel, and it was often everywhere in Judah. So they would participate in this worship system, which involved uh, the ability to take for themselves a temple prostitute. So they would lay themselves down. Uh, in Ezekiel 16, the Lord says it, of, a, of a woman that he's picturing as Israel and all the things he'd done for Israel, he says, you lay yourself down with every lever at every altar you can find. So unfaithfulness toward God and promiscuity toward all anything other than God. And so this is the expression here. Uh, you have, you lay down on garments taken in pledge. The rule, uh, God's law would say if you took in pledge a man's coat. So basically in pledge means you borrowed something from someone. The Bible says return it that night. But here that thing taken in pledge is not really cared about. You don't really care whether they get it back and you just lay it down beside the altar to go commit sexual immorality so you're not are, are you loving your neighbor no are you following god's law no do you care not really because what i want is a satisfaction i can find here beside the altar and then in the house of their god they drink the wine of those who have been fined always the uh reference of temple prostitutes immorality and drunkenness go together. And one of the things that sets us apart is the idea that what they're drinking is, it's like the, it could be taken two ways. One, they're going into the temple of God and they're bringing in their wine that was insufficient 
to be offered to any of the other idols, and they're drinking it in the house of God. Uh, that they're, It could be taken that way. Uh, in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. It was, it was not something that was to be brought in, yet it was something that they brought in and, uh, and utilized uh, unfaithfully. So they're, they're sexually immoral, they are not loving their neighbor, and they are walking in drunkenness. They, they, worship is now just about drunkenness. Just about how much more drink can I take? And so when we look at this, we're looking at pretty much all the descriptions God gives to idolatry. So when we look at the charges against Israel, you have injustice, you have insensitivity to the poor, immorality, and idolatry. These are the charges that God is bringing. Here's the reason why this exile is coming. Uh, through Amos, this is the challenge that the Lord God lays out before him. And then he gives a reminder of his blessings. So first he says, here's what's wrong, and then we know there's consequences, right? Every other decree has gone, here's the reason, here's the consequences. But in Israel, he goes, here's the reason, here are the blessings I gave you, and then here's the consequences. And those blessings fell even during the years of their infidelity to God. But it didn't matter to them because they were apathetic about it. I'm sure they had statements in Israel that said, you know, we have just figured out how to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. You know, in this land, if you work hard enough, you just can get ahead. I don't know what's wrong with everybody else. And they denied the blessing of God. Look, there's nothing wrong with people being blessed by God and God giving them uh, financial wealth or God giving them uh, large families or whatever the blessing may be. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when you say things like, look at the kingdom I have built. Isn't that what Nebuchadnezzar said? And the Lord said, what do you mean the kingdom you built? This is my blessing. I'm blessing you. So rather, our response should be, Lord, thank you for the blessing. And then celebrate the good gifts God's given you. Amen? So they were here. They are going to be reminded about the blessings. So here's the first blessing. Yet, it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and who was a strong as the oaks. So the Lord says, first I delivered you from the giants, the Amorites. He says, it doesn't matter how big, how strong, or how mighty, there's no one who can stand against your God. Amen? What about if it looks bad? What about if everybody says that there's no hope? 20, probably 29 days ago, ish there was no hope for jared now he's falling out of bed and bumping his head because he didn't want to stay in bed yesterday he called me a loser <laughs> which is very much like jared 
28 days ago, nobody would give him a, a, a plug nickel. The odds of making it were, how big is God? Is he big? Is he able to deliver? I remember when the Lord delivered me from HIV. If you don't know the story, well, come talk to me sometime. I'll tell you the story. But the Lord delivered me. He, he, um, he uh, uh, healed me from HIV. And I was telling my dad about it. And I said, Dad, what do you think? What should my attitude be? I mean, a lot of people say, well, maybe I never really had it in the first place. And how should I treat this, that? And, and he's like, you know, there was a guy who built a roof. And while he was building the roof, he lost his footing. He began to slip. And as he was slipping and sliding off that roof to, to fall to certainly at least broken bones, as he's falling, he cries out to the Lord, Lord, save me. And right there at the edge of the house, there was a nail sticking up. It hooked his belt loop, and it stopped him from going off. And he said, whew, lucky thing that nail was there. And my dad said, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. The blessings of God we want to remember. Our God is big and mighty and strong, and he is able to deliver us from or through. Either way, his delivery, his deliverance is the same way. The first one, I saved you from the Amorites. Second one, he says, um, uh, also it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you in the wilderness uh, to possess the land of the Amorite, or led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. So he says, look, I delivered you. Now, this is an example. One was a deliverance from, this is a deliverance through. Did they shorten the time of them wandering through the wilderness? No, it took 40 years, right? It took 40 years to get them to the place where they were able to walk in the victory that God was promising them, but the Lord was with them every day of the 40 years, right? So he delivered them through. So he brought them from Egypt, he delivered them uh, from the Amorites, and then he, he showed the people's dependence. Where did they get their food? From the Lord. Where did they get their water? From the Lord. What about their shoes? You know that the Bible says their shoes never wore out for 40 years? You ever had shoes that lasted that long? I paid $200 for boots that I ripped apart like in a week. I thought 200 bucks is a lot of money for boots. They should last. No, apparently not. But the cheesy little sandals they had leaving Egypt lasted 40 years. Because the Lord was with them. The Lord, he, he was teaching them dependence upon him. So he destroyed the Amorites. He brought them through the wilderness. He led them on crooked paths to the promised land. Wasn't a straight line. Crooked paths. And then he says in verse 11, and I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. He's given them these examples as the spiritual leadership of the nation. I raised up for you spiritual men who were committed to me to guide you. So he's providing all of these blessings. And then he says, is it not so, O people of Israel? 
declares the Lord, aren't these the blessings I gave you? Aren't these the ones? In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11, it says this, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his rules, his statutes, which I command you today. Be careful on the day you forget the blessings of God, the hand of God that has been with you to deliver you and to care for you. In verse 12 of Amos 2, he says, But you made the Nazarites drink wine, so you caused them to break their spiritual vows. It was such a heavy load that the the men, rather than uh, rejoicing over the opportunity to lead God's people, were looking for ways to get out of it. So you led the Nazarites to drink wine and commanded the prophets not to prophesy. Shh, don't talk. The kings of Israel, they would say, don't you have a prophet in Israel who can tell us what's going to happen? And, and they would say, you know, he never says anything good. It's always bad. It's always, he's always, it's always bad. He always has a, a, a negative word to say. When Jeremiah was on the scene in Jeremiah eleven twenty one, 21, says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth who seek your life, and say to you, Jeremiah, do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, or you will die by our hand. Thus, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish them. Their young men will die by the sword, their sons and daughters by famine, and none will be left, for I will bring disaster upon the man of Anathoth the year of their punishment. So when the exile came, he's telling Jeremiah, don't you worry about the words they say. Their rebellion is only leading one place, to the fire of judgment. Ultimately pictured in scripture by a place we call hell. Right? The final place of eternal punishment. Well, he gives a consequence to Israel here in verses 13 through 16, Amos chapter 2. He says, Behold, I will press you down in your place like a cart full of sheaves pressed down. Now, Paul, he writes about being pressed, uh, being crushed, but not destroyed, right? And here, this is the opposite. This is a pressing that leads to destruction. God will press them like sheaves. Verse 14, flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. So the abilities, the natural abilities of the people will not deliver them. Do you know, sometimes you're the most well-trained soldier. You always keep your weapon clean. You're always ready for the fight. You never miss when you fire downrange. And sometimes the stray bullet still finds you. And then you have a group of Marines standing around wondering how in the world could it have been him? He was the most together of everyone. But 
your abilities won't save you that day. There's no place for you to run, jump, out-wrestle. It's just the day. And so the Lord says their abilities will not deliver them. Verse 15, he who handles the bow will not stand. And he who is swift of foot shall not save himself, nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. There is going to be no escape. When the Assyrians come, it's you're going to lose. There's another time the Lord gives this a judgment similar to this. He says, pray that that day doesn't fall on the Sabbath. Or upon you when you're pregnant and nursing moms. So that when you see the signs, you can get out of town. Here he says, for you there will be no escape. And then verse 16, and he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day. The first thing that the Assyrians would do to their prisoners is strip them naked. And they would chain them together. And they would march them home. The Assyrians were cruel conquerors. Usually all along the road back home, they would impale their prisoners every mile along the road so that anybody who passed down the road would know the Assyrians had been here. The Lord says they will flee away naked in that day. As they go, they will be gathered together in chains. Now, a lot of times when we look at this, just in closing, when we look at this, when we consider the judgments that God lays out for us, the things that God has, we want to understand the whys. What are the whys? Why are these things happening? There are only two paths you can walk. One leads to life. One leads to death. The word of God is given to us so that we can know what path are you on. Because if you can recognize the path you're on, there's still time to change it, right? And so the Lord lays out this, this road that you're on, the decree that comes from God, this road ends in destruction. And then he tells us about it so that we can look. Now, we find ourselves in a time where perhaps there is still an opportunity for us to do something about it. Our world's a little upside down, isn't it? How many men did it take to turn the world upside down last time? Twelve guys. Oh, they, but they all had PhDs, right? Oh, no. Fishermen. Zealots. Tax collectors. Right? But they were men full of the Holy Spirit, obedient to the Word of God, who just followed what God put in front of them. They didn't travel the world on planes. They didn't speak to giant crusades. They didn't do any of that. They just were faithful witnesses before the people God brought them in front of. And that's all it took. And we have much more than 12 available today. Amen?
Won't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful, Lord, for the truth of your word and what your word has delivered to us, God. We're thankful for who you are, that you are a faithful God, full of kindness, tenderness, that you have given us a way, a route, a path that we can walk. And I pray, Lord, that we would not choose a, a, a path that ultimately leads to destruction and then find ourselves complaining about where we arrive, but rather, Lord God, we would be about men and women recognizing the goodness that you have provided for us. Lord, that you would be glorified and magnified ultimately in this place, Lord. God, we are so thankful for the blessings you've poured upon us. We live in a nation full of the blessings of God. We can experience over and over again God's blessing everywhere we look, wherever we walk, the things that we do and say, we can see your hand all around us, God providing for us, making a way. Lord, we are so amazed, God, at your goodness. So Lord, just help us to be like men and women who are able to look at your blessing, acknowledge what you have done and accomplished for us, Lord, so that we might respond rightly for our time, that we might have the words like Esther, when Mordecai would say, Esther, how do you not know that you were born for such a time as this? This is our time. You have given each of us a talent. You have gone away and you have asked us to use that talent to multiply the kingdom of God. So, Lord, may we be found doing so when you come. May you be glorified in and through it all. In Jesus' name, amen.